0: Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com citizens. Citizens! Good evening. Uh, what are the votes? Yay, nay? Oh, uh, wait, hold on. Uh, yes. There's no snow and we're going to be here on Sunday, or no, there's, wait, how does this work? We will be here. We won't be here. (laughs) Anybody? No, we will be here. We will be here. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know, man. Jenny's, Jenny's shoe life out there. It's the snow craziness. Man, I guess it depends on where you live. How many of you saw snow at your house today? That's not good news. Wow. How many of you are actually a little excited about snow? Okay. Okay. It is good news. It is good news. Okay. Okay. All right. Welcome to Citizens. This is the time of the day where we do this thing. Have I done this before? Hold your phone up. What are you gonna do with it? Okay. <laughs> Good job, Payton. Uh And here's the thing. If you're like me, and you're like, I need my phone because my hands are fidgety. Ta-da! If you don't have notes yet, there's a pen in the back. If you need notes, go get them right now while I'm yammering. Uh, grab some notes, grab a pen, get your Bibles out. Guys, I have some updates for you. Can I tell you some updates? Yeah. Last time I was up here, it was pre-Christmas. It was the beginning of Christmas at Citizens, which is my favorite time of year. Um, and I, I said a couple things. One, that I, I needed someone to start me a fund for my crusty Bible Restoration Fund, which, fun fact, Ava Stark gave me the first starter dollars on that one. Uh, and guess what I got for Christmas? I got a restored Bible for Christmas. It's coming. It's still in the mail. But I feel really naked right now because all I have it is on paper. But you get your real Bibles out. Open them up. Uh, second update. I told you last time I was up here, Um, that, well, maybe you don't know, but I, that I'm having a child, okay, I'm currently pregnant, and then we were going to find out what it was, and we found out we're having a girl, yeah, so we'll have crazy Teddy Freddy and this little girl running around here in April, so, anyway, those are the updates for you guys, um, but yeah, let's dive into it tonight, okay, how many of you, we just came off the holidays, nice, these are great, I love the phones up front. This is like the altar, like we lay our phones down before Jesus. I don't know if that's theologically correct, but here we go. Um, uh, okay, so we just came off of the holiday seasons. How many of you guys play uh, any family board games during the holidays? Any of family board gamers? Yes, yes. Um, shout them out. What are some of your favorite games to play as a family? Uh, that didn't actually work well. I can't hear anything. 31. Okay, cool. That's like poker, but, or blackjack, but not. Uh, what else? Cribbage? Yeah. I don't think I've ever played cribbage. Other board games? Texas Hold'em? Nice. What else? Ticket to Ride. I got a ticket. Uh, what else? Game of Life. Life? Sequence. Uno. Uno. (laughs) Classic. Um. When you think about, uh, okay, okay, simmer down, simmer down. When you think about uh, family board games, you think of like this delightful little scene of a quiet little family. I know you, you know where I'm going. Sitting around a table playing board games. How many of you know like board games can make or break family relationships? You're like, I now disown my sibling, right? I love yes, I was just going to say, I sibling. stopped I playing Monopoly because I hated losing. Sorry. Sorry. sorry, yeah. I don't like to uh, play games I'm going to lose, so I don't play Monopoly. But I'll tell you one game, shh, one game that I really loved. And maybe it made me feel really smart. But have any of you played the great and classic, wonderful game of Clue? Yes! yes. How many of you are like Clue fans? How many of you are like, I absolutely loathe that game? And how many of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about? Clue Anybody? Okay. Uh, Clue, OK. For those of you who may not be familiar with the game of Clue, Um you take on a persona, he could be Colonel Mustard or Colonel Mustard as I called him as a child, (laughs) or somebody else, and you are invited to Mr. Peabody's mansion. But surprisingly, you find that Mr. Peabody's dead! And the whole point of the game is you have to figure out uh, who done it, where they done it, and what they do it with, right? (laughs) you're leading right into this okay, shh, simmer, simmer, simmer simmer down Okay, so, you know how this goes shh, the whole point is you have like suspicion against your family you're like giving them lines of questioning you're trying to be secretive about what you know and at the very end, the big final reveal right, is you open the confidential envelope to find out who is the murderer. I was <laughs> All right, so here's the thing. Once you open the envelope, the game's done for you, right? Like, you're either right and you won, or you're wrong and you lost. But it doesn't change the verdict of who did it, of who didn't, right? So Clue, it's a silly little game. It's fun. I like to pretend I'm smarter than everybody when I play that game. My sister-in-law is actually the best at it, so. I'm a little bit jealous. Um, but it's a silly game with no consequences, because if you're the character that actually murdered them, like, uh, I mean, it, you, you keep living. You move on and eat Christmas pie or whatever it is you do, right? There's no, there's no real consequences. But imagine that clue is a real scenario, right? And they did make a movie, and it's really ridiculous. I don't know if I recommend it. I can't remember if it's appropriate, but it's really silly. Um, so you this, the clue is a real thing, right? And you're in it, and you get to the very end, and you're like, I think I know who it is. And you go to open the envelope, and you pull it out, and you're looking at a picture of yourself. (gasps) Right? Okay. In real life, that's bad news, right? Because usually, murder it equals either the death penalty or life in prison, right? Or a host of other things that are not good, right? So, the the stakes are are higher, right? The guilty verdict means a lot more, right? Uh, In this case, you're not an innocent person, but you are, like, begging and pleading and asking for mercy and for grace and for compassion and for any way that the sentence can be reversed. I promise I will, like, do community service for the rest of my life, right? This circumstance seems utterly preposterous. You're like, I'm not a murderer. Um, But when it comes to... When it comes to um, the story of our biblical worldview and the ra- a reality of the state of our human hearts, uh, this is exactly where we stand, right? So all of our human hearts have rebelled against the God of life and when we open the envelope of whose fault it is, ooh, it's actually my picture that's in there and the consequences are high. To walk away from life is to welcome death and the final verdict is something that we need Salvation for. And this is the backdrop, this bleak backdrop of actually the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the contrast to the shining hope of the gospel. See, all of the Bible, and really honestly, even all of the pages of human history, reveals generations after generations of brokenness and sin, uh, and, and the way that humans have destroyed each other and ourselves, uh, the result just bringing more death upon death, right? Um, and the truth and reality of Jesus is that he is the hope of salvation. And this is the subject that the Apostle Paul couldn't close his mouth about, <laughs> He spent all of his ministry, he spent all of this letter that we're going to read today um, devoting his full energy towards sharing the gospel. Because we're going to find out today, um, and what Paul is going to teach us, and what he firmly believed, is that the gospel is salvation for sinners who are sentenced to death. We walk around with with a death sentence on our heads, and yet the gospel is salvation for sinners sentenced to death. So we're going to read a portion of Paul's letter today. If you don't know where uh, Romans is, it's in your New Testament. Is it the sixth book of the New Testament? We've got four Gospels and Acts and Romans, Right? Uh, so turn yourself to, to Romans um, chapter one. Uh, we'll open us last week with the introduction. Um, Paul is uh, introducing himself. He's saying who he is, who he's talking to. Um, he introduces Jesus and the gospel and all these things, and then he begins to talk uh, to the Romans himself, talking about how he's eagerly waiting to see them. And so he says in verse 15, "Are you there?" By the way, open your Bibles. Where are you? If you're there, point to it very loudly. There you go. Like, Can paper be really loud, actually? Um, all right, so verse 15, look down in it. Uh, he comes to an end of, of a talk about being eager to see uh, the Romans, then he says this, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And so he is going to about to dive into this, uh, this gospel that he's talking about. Um, but ironically, Paul is talking about wanting to go to Rome, where he's going to actually face an actual death sentence. Now, he's an innocent man. He's going to die as a martyr. Um, and despite, I mean, he doesn't really know quite for sure. I mean... I mean, he kind of does, really. He has pretty good guesses of what's going to happen to him and how his life is going to end. But despite that, Paul eagerly wants to go to the church of Rome. He wants to see them. He wants to hear their faith in action. Um, He wants to encourage their faith. Um, And the beautiful thing is not only does he want to teach the gospel to people who've never heard it, but he wants to remind believers of the gospel that they believe in. You see, Paul believed that this gospel, this message about Jesus, was actually greater than his his physical, actual life. Because after all, I mean, Rome could just kill his body, but his soul, his eternal salvation um, cannot be taken from him because he has been saved by Jesus. And this is why he's convinced of the gospel. This is why he goes forward. And so we're going to dive into um, two of probably the most, well, probably the most famous, well, it might be a bold statement. It's a very famous passage in Romans, and then we're going to hit like the hardest passage in Romans. Are you ready? Did you turn on your brains today? If you need to like wake it up a we'll little do this a little bit for a moment. Just go like go oh that. Yeah. Does your neighbor need it? There you go. Wake your neighbor up. I'm supposed to hit my neighbor. Alright, here we go. Uh, Romans. We're in chapter one. We're in verse 16. Point to it if you have it. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> he says this. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, "The righteous shall live by faith." If you've been in any one of my tribe's lessons over the years, what do we always look at? Anybody know? What? Repeated words. Look at your Bible. What's a repeated word in this passage? Yes? What else? Jesus. Ha! Say it real loud. Faith. Faith. faith! All right, here we go. Number one, we are saved through? Faith! Let's say it louder. We are saved through? Faith! faith. faith. This is a gospel um, that is received and accepted through faith. We're going to talk about this faith for a bit, but he begins by saying, Paul says these famous words, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to save sinners. There's like shirts and t-shirts and mugs and whole youth groups named after this passage, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And where Paul was at, Roman citizens and Paul himself had every reason to feel ashamed of the gospel. Every day as they stepped out into their city to go buy pears or whatever you buy, at a marketplace. A lamb? Uh, they were surrounded by all the cultural reminders uh, that they don't belong here, right? They walk past giant monuments and statues and arc and arc art and architecture of the gods that, that Rome worshipped. Um, there was idol worship everywhere. They were surrounded by people who just lived by the motto, like, of your own compulsion. So they lived by their own selfishness, they lived by their own desires. There was no right and wrong except for what I determine, right? Uh, and not to mention the fact that Christians were often persecuted, uh, picked on, and killed, and blamed for any of the strife that happens in the city. Like, if the rulers, the emperors of the time, were like, things aren't going well, it's got to be the Christians' fault, let's go kill them. It's like, they had every reason to be ashamed of the gospel, And, and when we describe it this way, I mean, by the grace of God, we're not being murdered right now here around the world. That is the reality. Um, but we live in a very similar world. We live in a world that is loudly opposed to the God of the universe. It's, I, sometimes you look around like at things, and I feel like the culture goes above and beyond to like visibly and loudly like, just shake their fist at God. You know? Uh, it's, and it's tempting in those scenarios to just like, keep your head down. Be quiet, don't make any moves, don't mention anything. If somebody asks you, like, why are you so weird? Are you a Christian? You're like, ah, yeah, I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, 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 but not one of those, you know, but but yeah, but yeah, I'm totally a Christian, right? It It can be tempting to be ashamed, and yet Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's power, and it's the power of God to save sinners, and the gospel is the only solution for sinners. There is no other solution for sinners, though we often try to look for solutions. Oh, we are so good at like the self-help and like the hacks and like uh, the new ideas, better strategies, New Year's resolutions, and do you make any this year? Way to go! We have goals and dreams, um, right? We're really good at trying to accomplish things, to get to our PRs, to stick to these resolutions. Um, but no matter what we do, there's always either a slip up, or there's uh, a, a next step that we have to take, or somehow we've missed the mark. It's like we've never can quite get to the place of satisfaction where we've done enough. And after we've burned out for trying so hard, at best we just walk around with complete apathy, like nothing matters anymore, what does it matter? And at worst we walk around depressed, just convinced that there's nothing good about us. There's no solution that we can or mankind has ever created in their mind that solves the problem of humankind, that solves the problem of human sin. Oh, but look at this, verse 17, let's read this again. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is the power to save sinners because it makes sinners righteous through faith. We're gonna look at these two key words here, so righteous. Um, the gospel is the only thing that can make a a broken, sinful human, righteous before the judgment of a perfect God. It's like if you got to the end of your life and you had to stand before the Lord with every second of your life written out like a report card— there's like whole seasons, times of your life that you'd be like, please don't look at that, right? Like none of us have a perfect record. And if you're in this room, even if you were perfect from this day forward, I know you were once a two-year-old and I have one of those. And sometimes they're the worst, okay? Like none of us are perfect, right? We all have a fallen and broken record, but here's what happens in the gospel. This is what Jesus does. Jesus lived a perfect life. He lived a righteous life. It's like you're coming up to give your report card to God and he takes, Jesus takes your record and hands you his perfect record. This is what the gospel does. It's the only solution to make sinners righteous and then he says that it is from faith and for faith. Like if it's not good news enough that like before a perfect God I could be seen as, as righteous because of Jesus, like it's even better news that it is a gift received through faith. Because we've tried, right? (laughs) Like... Our record is nothing special to look at. We could try to work at, like, earning God's salvation or, like, trying to be good enough that he might be like, yeah, sure, I'll be righteous for you. But no, this is this is a righteousness that's received through faith. And it says, from faith, for faith. So it begins with a faith, a belief in what Jesus has done, and it continues on in faith, right? I mean... I, it's, it can be, like, a tempting thing even to believe that, like, okay, so maybe, yes, God saw me, he wanted me to be a part of his family, so he forgave me, he gave me his righteousness, but now I have to prove that I, I, I am worth staying in this family, that he's not going to kick me out, you know? Like, an adopted child who's afraid that, like, their parents are going to kick them out at any moment. That's not the way God functions. From faith for faith, we continue in his family because of the grace that he has been given us. And to emphasize this quote, he quotes um, the last line here, uh, verse 17, those quoted pieces. He's quoting the prophet Habakkuk. Um, and in, in Habakkuk 2.4, he says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk's a really fun book for this time, and I think we're actually going to hit it this year, Lord willing, um, because the prophet is coming against the Lord, being like, do you see how awful this world is? And God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he reminds the prophet uh, that the evil live by their might and their violence, and God sees it, and he will do something about it. But the righteous won't live by might and won't live by striving, but they'll simply live by faith in God. And so it poses the question, like, what does it mean to have faith? Like, do I just go, <laughs> Do I believe hard enough? you say like an incantation, you know? Like is that what the sinner's prayer is? It's like the incantation of faith and now I have it. Faith is believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, and that you are who he says you are. It's believing that he is who he says he is, which is the Son of God. And if he is who he says he is, then our only response is to live as if he is Lord, to allow him to direct and correct and to lead every part of our lives, even the things that we want to keep for ourselves. It's believing that he's done what he said he has done, which is paid for our sin. And if he has done what he has said he has done, then we can stand and believe that we're no longer condemned ashamed, left in our sin to wallow in self-hatred or despair. And if we are who he says we are, that means we can live free to say no to sin and to say yes to God, knowing for certain deep in our hearts that we are loved and accepted by him. So this faith, this gospel, is a beautiful thing Because it makes sinners righteous, and we are sinners saved through faith. So the gospel, again, is salvation for sinners who are sentenced to death. But here's the thing about salvation. You have to be being saved from something, right? Like if you just stood up right now and be like, save me! We'd all look at you like, from... Is there a bee on you? Like... What's happening right now, right? Salvation requires something to be saved from. This is where Paul goes next. So look back down at your verse. Verse 18 is, where we're gonna pick it back up. Romans 1, through 23. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him. Creeping things. Creepy things. Uh, happy note to end on. Right? <laughs> Here's the crazy mind bender. Is God in Christ is saving us from the wrath of God. You're like, what? We are saved from wrath. That's the other beautiful other half, the other side of the coin of the gospel story is that we're saved through faith, but we're saved from wrath. Now, when we talk about the wrath of God, it kind of makes us a little squirmy, kind of makes you be like... (laughs) want talk about that, you know, we don't like talking about the wrath of God, it's a topic that if you're already suspicious of God, like, and you're in this room, and you're like, I don't even know if I really think about this God thing, and I'm like, huh, like, you'd be like, see, 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 this, this is why I can't trust God, right, and when you're a Christian, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those doctrines that, like, makes you tempted to be ashamed of the gospel, right, like we talked about, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this is one of those where you're like, do we really have to talk about that um, but I, I, I want, I would like to point out to you for a moment that you actually not only believe in the wrath of God, but you want the wrath of God. Let me tell you this. When you see uh, images, videos, stories of men, women, children, babies um, being killed in their homes and their cities because of war and greedy nations, oh, you want the wrath of God for sinners right? When you hear of evil people walking into innocent schools and shooting children, you want the wrath of God against sinners. When you hear about people kidnapping children and taking them and abusing them and trafficking them, you want the wrath of God against sinners. We could stand here all day and create a list of the wickedness that you see in the world, and by the end of it, we'd be begging God for his wrath against sinners in fact I think it's very appropriate that Paul quoted Habakkuk here because Habakkuk that passage we looked at the book opens with Habakkuk crying out to the Lord saying how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or say violence and you will not save he's begging God to see the wickedness in the world and asking for the wrath of God and here's the twist we want the wrath of God against sinners. And that includes us. Paul will later quote in his letter, none is righteous, no, not one. It's easy to look out on the wickedness we see in the world and call for God to bring unrelenting justice. Fire and brimstone, take him down, Right? But that same sin that is manifesting in that way is actually the monster that lives inside of you and I. We are all just sinful humans. And look at how sin is described in this passage. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Ungodliness is this lack of belief. It's refusing to acknowledge that God is God, that he is supreme, that he's above all things. Uh, and it's refusing to obey him. And then unrighteousness are the acts of sin. Because of that disconnection with God, it's our acts of sin towards one another. And none of us are innocent of either of these claims. We can all easily open the classified clue envelope at the end of the game and see all of our faces in there. We have all disregarded God in our own way, and we have all sinned against one another. And our sin is that we deny the truth of God through unbelief, and we actually believe a lie. So let's look at the truth here. Verse uh, 19 again. He says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to him. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. Here's the truth here. Creation, the world around us, plainly reveals God's eternal power, his reign, and his divine nature as greater than ours. This is the truth. For centuries, the dawn of humankind, we have looked upon the stars and wondered in awe. From the earliest accounts of human histories, we've marveled at like, what could be out there? You're like, I know aliens. From the primitive, like star-worshipping cultures to today, uh, we have long been gazing in wonder at the creation that that has, is around us. I mean, even today, from the literal polar extremes of like the scientific community that spends their life scientifically, like discovering the world, to those that are like more spiritual and like the horoscopes tell them what to do. Right? We've all look up at the stars and like wonder what's out there. We know that we are so small compared to the universe. We know that we are so small compared to the vast mystery of all of these things. And Paul, not even like even where we are with our great discoveries in life, right, tells us that this universe, this creation itself, was meant to declare the infinite might and power of God. There's a reason why like when you like zoom out on earth, we're like, Ding! and like the universe is like this big, right? Because God's like, I'm this much bigger than you, you know? This, the, all of creation was meant to declare that, and it's meant to say one thing. God is God, and we are not. God is God, and we are not, and that's the truth. And yet it says, like blind fools, we have suppressed the truth. This suppressed word is like this really intense, like, um... Uh, I, know, I should have an example, but like a really tightly wound spring that you like can't push down. It's like you're trying to like, it's like a really bad jack-in-the-box, right? You're trying to like push it down, like keep it down. You're like holding it back. This is we suppress the truth and we actually believe this lie. Here's uh, the believable lie. Let's read the verses first. Verse 21 through 23. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they came fiel in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. The believable lie is that we are the infinite supreme God. Paul says that rather than looking out at creation, humans have looked inward to say, I am the divine creation. And we've not given God the glory or the praise or the thanks for the beautiful world, for the good creation, for the provision, for the help, for literally everything <laughs> that we have been given. And in this context, he's talking to Rome, like the most developed country of the world at that time, and that Romans could, clear, could believe that their great knowledge, I mean, they have Plato, Socrates, some of the greatest minds of all time, right? That their discoveries can make them self sufficient. Um, and, and honestly, we... Are no different, right? We too believe that we are God. As our discoveries and our technology and our knowledge has increased, um, we're no different. It tempts us to believe that we are God. Like you think about it every single piece of technology, this is a fun thought experiment, and I'm not, quick caveat, I don't think technology is inherently evil. I had a cell phone in my pocket, I have a watch on my arm, okay? Uh, but every single piece of technology, think, this about, think about this, might blow your mind a little bit, is an attempt for humans to become more godlike. Let me prove it to you. Travel. We can fly almost anywhere around the world within 24 hours, right? Unless you get stuck in a baggage line that's three hours long or, you know, the wall of your plane falls off, right? But for the most part, you can travel around the world, and within 24 hours, our, 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 uh, our innovations in travel make us feel like we're omnipresent, that we could be anywhere at any time, just like the sovereign God. Our uh, connectedness of technology, the internet, our phones, like the fact that we can even see all of the tragedies that are happening around the world uh, is this attempt to be omniscient, that I could know all things, that I could see all things, that I could talk to all people at all times. It's this attempt of omniscience. Our medicines, our advances, our advertisements, our weapons make us feel like we're omnipotent. I am invincible, right? Like, nothing can break me. I am powerful, never susceptible to weakness or illness. And we think that because we can create AI that we're some kind of God, right? This is the culture that we live in. And here's the thing. We either believe that we are gods or we make the gods, right? We look to people. We look to accomplishments. We look to achievements to affirm something in us, to affirm that we are greater than we are. We look at things that are not gods, and man, as... (laughs) as weak, finite beings, no wonder we are wearied and discouraged and worn out because we're trying to be infinite. And no wonder we're disillusioned and discouraged and let down when we look to things that aren't God, when we look to finite things to be that thing in our lives. These are the lies that we are tempted to believe. Paul will go on from this passage for many verses, and it gets scathing. So keep reading Romans tonight, it's fun. Um, but he's elaborating these next few passages, this, this mentality of the, the human mind that says, I am God, and how it is the root cause of wickedness in this world. Again, summing up to say, no one's righteous. No, not one. We are all sinners, sentenced to death, who need salvation And the beautiful irony is this is why the gospel is good news. Because without the gospel, the final verdict is in. You're guilty of a death sentence. But in Jesus, our verdict changes. When God is what what we want him to do, to bring his wrath down against sinners, to finally see the wickedness and take care of it forever. We're not exempt. We're not safe from the wrath of God unless you are in Christ. And Christ's righteousness covers up, covers over us like this undestructible umbrella as the wrath of God comes down and yet he steps out from under that umbrella and takes the full brunt of the wrath of God. That's what the cross was. The cross was the full brunt of the wrath of God for your sake and for my sake, and he takes his righteousness and covers us. He is our salvation. So, Romans is one big, um, amazing book, but Paul will go on to, to elaborate on the gospel. He says in Romans 8, Uh, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to flesh but according to the spirit. We're saved from this wrath because we've been made righteous by God. He condemned sin and he fulfilled the righteous requirement for us. Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're saved from wrath, and we're saved through faith as we confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. The gospel is salvation for all of us sinners who are sentenced to death. And in Jesus, our final verdict is not that we are guilty anymore, but that we are free. I'm gonna invite the band back up, and I'm gonna talk to kind of three. Uh, Three potential groups in this room. First, there may be some of you in here um, who uh, truly don't believe that anything that I'm saying is true. (laughs) That you're not guilty. um, That you're not guilty of sin. That I'm not a murderer. I'm really not that bad. Nobody's perfect. Right? That... You know, the wrath of God is this overbearing thing. And for those of you who may feel that in your hearts, of like, you know, not that bad, I'm fine, I'm not guilty. Um, My prayer for you is that God would graciously show you the end of yourself. There's a freedom that comes when you realize that you are not infinite. (laughs) And when you've reached the very end of yourself and there's nothing more you can do, there's a moment where you realize that you truly only need God. And I pray that by his grace that you would even find that end of yourself, that you'd find the end of that thing that you're looking to, whether it's to that person that girl or that guy that you're looking to fulfill you, whether it's that sport or that achievement or that final accomplishment that you're looking to fulfill you, I pray that they let you down. Because they will. And only God is the one who will never let you down. For those of you who are very aware, maybe you're in here and you're like, I know myself, and I know that there is no good in me. There's no reason Anyone could love me. There's no reason God could love me. There's no way anyone could forgive me for what I've done. For the one who thinks their guilt is too great. <laughs> I want to tell you that Jesus is greater. That what Jesus did for you was greater. That his righteousness is more powerful than your sin. That his death was sufficient to pay for your penalty and that your verdict can be changed as you depend on faith in him, that he is enough. And to those of you in the room who believe the gospel, remember I said that Paul preached the gospel not just to unbelievers, but to believers, right? It's because we need to be reminded of this every day. For those of you who are believers of the gospel, you're working and striving to trust in Jesus, you're striving to believe, you're striving in righteousness, um, I want to remind you that you've been made righteous that Christ has made you righteous and he's given you the strength every day to say no to sin even when it's really hard (laughs) but he's given you the strength to say no to sin by the power of him who raised Jesus from the dead he's given you the power to believe to trust in him and when you fall and when you are weak he carries you because we are finite human beings wherever you're at the gospel is for all who believe that Jesus has come to change our verdict, to save us from our sins, to forgive us and even more than that to welcome us into his family with open arms with love, with a warm smile saying I'm proud of you I love you welcome home let me pray for us. Lord God, I thank you for your word. God, we fully admit that there are passages and there are scriptures that we read that cut to the heart, <laughs> that aren't comfy. And yet, we also believe that the gospel is the power of God to save sinners. I pray that you would, each of us, open our eyes to the sin that dwells within. Would we not get comfortable in thinking that we are okay or that we're fine, but that we would recognize the depths of who we are. And yet as we call upon you in faith as our Lord, as we believe upon what Jesus has done as our only salvation, and as we believe that we are children of God, forgiven and loved, that we would experience that love and that grace and that warmth and that welcome and that freedom to live in the righteousness of God. I pray that both of these things, the, the understanding the wrath of God and understanding the beauty of the gospel received by faith would bring such a joy in our hearts. That it would bring such a freedom to our hearts. And I pray that it would be our song, that the gospel would be the thing that we are constantly saying to one another. I pray that you'd help us as brothers and sisters to spur one another on, to encourage one another on to righteousness and following you. And God, that we'd be a people that we admit <laughs> we are not infinite we are weak we are not all-knowing we are not all-powerful i am weak and brainless and powerless but you are good and i pray that we would teach each other to depend upon you in all things lord we're so grateful for what you have done for without you we are lost thank you for your gospel thank you for your grace it is in is for that we praise you tonight lord it's your name we pray